The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. We are here today for another podcast with Karen Kohler and Andrew Ackley. Today's topic is If You Knew Then. We're going to hear from Karen. If she could go and visit herself at various early stages of her career, what would she tell herself? What would she (laughs) sit on her own shoulder and whisper in her ear uh, for a a number of reasons? And we're going to start with, Karen, the very first time I want you to picture yourself, the courtroom that you were in, the judge that you had, the case that you were working on. You, you are listening to oral argument or you're listening to the judge shuffle into the room and announce the cause number. And the very first time you stand up for oral argument in a courtroom, what would you tell yourself? Knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself then? All right. So we have to go way back to about 1987. <laughs> the first trial I was in was in district court a very so very small court and this is state district court this is like uh, yeah yeah okay a state district court okay like below superior court got it and it was a criminal case where my client a young man was accused of domestic violence against his girlfriend and i was representing him was how it, was that how did that feel at the time i truly believe that he had been beaten up and he hadn't done the beating up. So, um, it was interesting because, you know, you would think I would be championing the rights of the person claiming the abuse. Um, but I didn't believe her. I believed him and my conviction kind of won the day I would say. So what would I tell myself now from then? A, I would tell myself, not to be so worried about myself. Like I was so worried that what I was going to do was going to fatally, you know, impact the proceeding. I thought it was more about me than it was about the client. Um, I was more concerned about what the jury would think about me than what the jury would think about the client. And I was more concerned about the questions I would ask or how I'd come up with them or how I'd stand or how I'd look when I asked them. I was, I was very self-conscious. And so, uh, of course I was only a year out of law school, not even, uh, to be expected, but that level of self-consciousness, I would say, put that away. This isn't about you. It's not about you. That's really good advice. How did you fast forward for some length of time, how did you overcome that self-consciousness? Well, I think practice makes for better. <laughs> We're never perfect. <laughs> yep. Uh, but I, I continue to be self-conscious as a young lawyer. I, as you might know, have black hair. It's very curly. There used to be a lot more of it. It was wild. And uh, I can remember always tying it back, trying to straighten it. I wear big glasses. I try to look older. That's another big thing I can remember was being so worried about how young I looked back then. Uh, I can remember going to a court commissioner vividly in Superior Court was on a um, uh, real, some kind of real estate matter. And the clients were with me and they were they were almost like 
solicitous to me and they they were telling the commissioner things like she looks really young she's like our daughter kind of feeling but we trust her and she's really like she's really good um so i just felt like i looked young i had a high voice and i just was really self-conscious about that like i wanted to be powerful and bigger and take up more space and for people to take me seriously. I wanted that initially in my career a lot. What what came out of that? And actually, let me ask you one question first. Did the fact that you are a petite woman play into that at all? Everything played into it, right? I did not fit the model of what people back in the 1980s thought was a dominating trial lawyer presence. <laughs> <laughs> Even today, I don't. Um, but I was more uncomfortable back then. I wanted to somehow bridge that gap of having, you know, entering the room and people just thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, this is a powerful presence. Um, this is a dominating force. <laughs> and I, I did not know how to bridge that gap. I was like, my models, my models of what a lawyer should be were that time, Perry Mason and, and these very male kind of shouter kind of attorneys who could look you with the fierceness of their gaze and intimidate the witness and their jowls would shake as they <laughs> shook their heads, wagging their fingers and making you cower into submission. Like that was not ever going to happen to me. But I did not give up the dream for years. Good, good. Jowls happens to be one of my favorite words, <laughs> randomly. Uh, so what what changed? Did did your, your desire to meet that mold change? Did you become more comfortable? How did that change over time? I thought that it was more of an equal opportunity age when I graduated in the 80s, mid-80s. I thought that there was, you know, way more women in the profession, and there were, mm -hmm. But they weren't going into the areas of law that I was, which was, and at that time I was a, you know, I was a defendant. I was a defense lawyer, uh, personal injury practice uh, uh, area, and there weren't a lot of role models. Even my supervising partner, one of them, she was a former judge. You'd think she'd be a good role model. She wasn't a good role model um, for many reasons. So... I think having a role model is really important. I found my first real role model, two of them. One was a defense lawyer. He was a hard ass defense lawyer, ruthless. And uh, he resonated with me. He resonated <laughs> with something with me. And I was able to glean things from him that I hadn't before. For example, uh, first deposition, he was monitoring me, he said, Karen, he actually kind of yelled at me, uh, you're not here to make friends. You're here to do a job and represent your client. And I've never forgotten that. Um, you're here to do a job. You're not here to make friends. I, I might have taken it too far at one point, but there is that line. And then the second thing that happened was I had met a plaintiff lawyer named Tom Chambers, who was on the other side of me in a case. And he be, went on to become one of the most influential mentors in my professional career. I give credit for developing to the people in my life, my mentors. 
that's yeah and and so on that point uh if you knew going back to if you knew then if you knew then what you know now uh what would you tell yourself during those mentor relationships I would tell myself to stop being so doubtful of who I was as a person. Stop trying to m become a mold. Um, to have more, um, I guess, certainty that just because I was different didn't mean it was bad and should be changed. I think it comes with age. I don't know how I would have done it different. I wish I could have. Uh, I think that I would have um, been more comfortable in my skin earlier on as a lawyer. I would have felt more like a lawyer. And on that point, I mean, you, you've mentioned two, two uh, male role models. Would it have made a difference for you in, in that trajectory on that, your comfort in your own skin, if you had had a female role model? Well, of course, my, my first role model was my mother, and my mother was a lawyer, and I worked for her through high school, college, and law school. Um, but she was a little bit chaotic, and I did not want to be like her. So I rejected her role modeling um, uh, initially. That's how I became a defense lawyer. I thought, I don't want to deal with people. I want to go work in a business firm, and then they threw me into the litigation side of it, and, and that's where I was. But my mother was so close to me that I didn't really, I couldn't really absorb her as a mentor as much as I, I um, could appreciate later in life. Like, later in life now, I can appreciate my fighting spirit, 100% my mother. My lack of deference to authority figures, <clears throat> sometimes, <laughs> totally my mother. Um, my willingness to just fight to the death, that's totally my mother's influence. So sometimes we don't even realize who our mentors are until those moments have passed. There, it seems like there's commonly a, um, a barrier to the parent-child mentorship. And I think that there's a lot of research now that indicates that you need someone other than that, you know, someone yeah, other than your yeah. family as a mentor. So what, what would you tell yourself maybe as an 18-year-old about the, the meaning and the value of your relationship as your mom, knowing what you know now? I wish I could appreciate the good more. I was so focused on some of the not so good that I wasn't able to benefit as much from the good. And I don't know how you change that as a you know child growing up with a parent. Um, for example, she's a brilliant person. She was a chemical engineer before she became a lawyer. Um, and she could read something and get it immediately. She was super quick, but she was a perfectionist. So she, could, she was a total procrastinator and she would write but then never, she could never finish it because she would edit and re-edit and perfect it. And, and she would also, I, I'd, so I'm the opposite, right? I learned through some of her mistakes. So I'm not a perfectionist. I'm a step below that. So I can get it done. It's not perfect, but it's as good as I can get it. That's going to be good enough for me. Um, it, I think mentoring and mentorship is, is complex. Um, but it's also... It more impactful than 
than you believe, whether it's your teacher, your parent, your boss, the other side's attorney that you're watching. Um, I, I can remember one of, the, one of the things I remember most from practicing early in that big defense firm was we had these cases called um, DES cases, that, which, and it was a drug, diethylstilbestroid. I think I said that right. I have no idea. <laughs> well, and, and this was a drug that was given to women, uh, and later it passed on a, a defect to their daughter so that they typically often cannot carry a child to term. So it was a product liability drug pharmaceutical case. And we would go into these rooms. I would be one of like 50 defen defense lawyers. I, would, I didn't know anything that I was doing. I was in their deposition room and I'd, and I'd sit there and be quiet. And then one by one, everyone would ask a question, go around the room and I'd ask my form question. At the center of the room with the witness was a plaintiff lawyer who at the time, her name was Kath, Kathy Learned. She later became a judge. We were all wearing like little conformist suits. Some of the, if the few women in there had little bow ties on, you know, super prissy, um, all of us. And she had on these like moo-moos and, you know, giant Hawaiian bead necklaces and dangling earrings. And she was just completely non-conforming and she ruled that whole proceeding. She was the plaintiff lawyer and she had total control. And I can still see that in my mind and thinking like, she's amazing and that's amazing. It is amazing. We seem to have a, a printer with a mind of its own <laughs> You have a ghost in my printer. <laughs> um, so so she didn't even mean to be my mentor, right? But yet she, by watching her, she became a goal in my mind of that's, that's, that's cool. At what point did you know? So I'm picturing, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm sort of picturing a fork in the road where at some point you have to decide, are you going to try to be more male, essentially, yes. and more aggressive and more Perry Mason? Or are you going to be uh, more, you know, authentic, for lack of a better word, coming to mind and more more you, which is, I mean, you're right. proudly feminine. Well, so this again is one of those, if I knew now. So back then, uh, even though I was uncertain about a lot of stuff and I sh shared with you a little bit of my doubts, I also was fiercely focused and determined. And I um, uh, decided that, and this is after my youngest daughter. So if you don't know, I was a part-time lawyer for many years when my children were growing up and not, did not become full-time until my youngest daughter was entering uh, kindergarten, which in itself was a second grade status uh, for a lawyer, not to be full-time lawyer, not moving up the, the ranks. Uh, but when I came back to being a full-time lawyer, my goal was to be the best that I could be and to be the best lawyer that I could be and to be the best lawyer. And, and I've changed those goals over time to be more specific, the best PI lawyer, the best... And never did I want to be the best female lawyer. I felt like, why? What, what does that mean to be that there's a best male lawyer and a best female lawyer? Is that how you do it? And because of that, I was not active in women's groups, particularly. I did not join Washington Women's Lawyers. I did not, even though I was a raging feminist all through high school and everything, I wanted to be seen for my own merit. No, 
now when I look back on it, I wish I had joined Washington Women's Lawyers. I've joined women's groups since then and I found them to be great, um, but not the only thing that I would ever want to do. I, I, um, um, I think that that is, that is something that is a little bit different about me is I just did not want to be in the women's groups. I did not want to, uh, because my, my profession and the people I were with were so heavily male dominated. I'm not the kind of person that is going to yell at you if you open the door for me. Um, I wasn't going to yell at them. Some of them called me honey and darling. And mm. one of them called me honey all the time. Um, some of my, one of my partners, uh, at this firm, uh, who's no longer here, um, but was my age used to call me sweetie and honey. Um, Wow. So it wasn't just a generational thing either. Um, I, tr I, ex I just accepted it as being not, not, not thoughtful, um, but I never took offense at it uh, if it was by a friend. Right. <laughs> Other people maybe. But so I just kind of developed this like I don't care attitude, which I really feel like it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, I don't remember it in a negative way. I don't think any less of you because you call me sweetie honey or hold the door open for me. Um, but because of my comfortability with that, I would hear a lot of what the male attorneys would say. And some of it was quite offensive. Um, some of it would be talking about women like they had a chip on their shoulder or, you know, they're strident or, you know, th these things that now, now with a more enlightened society, you would just cringe at some of the thing comments that I heard, especially about female lawyers. Um, I am just not a big dominant presence. There's not nothing. My, my persona has never been to be a yeller or a pointer or a furious uh, agitator. I am. I am. That's just not who I am. Um, I tried on the cloak of trying to be a big male lawyer and that never worked. And I just thought, well, I guess I'm not going to be like that. Um, it's just all an evolution in a, in a society of lawyers where the norm is so heavily dominating in terms of a particular stereotype, or at least it was in the eighties and nineties and two thousands, honestly, that if you weren't in it, if you weren't in that club, you were never going to be in that club. And so I developed the thick skin of, screw you, I don't want to be in your club. <laughs> so it sounds like, would you have changed that at all, going back? So my rash, my rash behavior in uh, calling people out and just being upfront and saying, I don't want to be in your club. Good question. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, in the, I think it was in the 90s or early 2000s, I sent an email to a girlfriend who'd asked what this, what this uh, society was. And it was called, can I say these? Some of these people don't, some of these people may never speak to me again, but no, honestly, they're my friends, um, but I'm not, I'm not in this committee. So it was called DART. And she said, what is it? And I said, well, it stands for Damages Attorneys Roundtable. And I know of them because when I worked for Tom Chambers, they used to come to his office every month for their meeting. 
And she says, well, what are they, what, what are they? And I said, well, honestly, they're just a bunch of old farts that get together and they're the self-proclaimed best lawyers in the state. And I hit return and I sent it to the entire plaintiff bar listserv. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Oh yeah, I did it. And I, I didn't realize it at Hold first. Hold on, to be clear, knowingly or not knowingly? Oh, no, not oh, knowingly. Okay. That's when, you know, some of my email skills were not so great. This was before the, uh, the reply all education that everybody uh, had to go through. Hit that old reply to people you never intended. So yeah. it went to, you know, about, about uh, 500 of my closest uh, plaintiff yeah. lawyer acquaintances, including the various members of that organization. And then I thought, okay, I did it, but you know what? They're all old farts, and so that means that they wouldn't—they don't even know how to read the email, <laughs> which turned out to be partially true. Except that one of them thought, saw it, thought it was kind of funny, printed it out and mailed it to all the darts to make sure that they all got it. Oh wow, that's that's pretty funny in itself. Okay, yeah. snail mailed it. All yeah. right. Um, Hold on, I just want to pause for a moment. <laughs> I've never heard of an email being mailed in my entire printed life. Printed it out. Print, a printed email mailed. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then I got a letter from the president of that exalted society, um, kind of scolding me. And I then, of course, you know, by then I had, I believe in full acceptance of your failings. Uh, I believe that when you make a boo-boo, you should say you're sorry. And of course, I never meant to send that email to the whole plaintiff bar. But at the same time, I'm willing to say behind, you know, right to your face the way I feel. So yeah, I confronted him. I said, well, you don't have any women. He said, well, we used to have one. She died. I said, okay, you have one dead woman and then all the rest men. And, and to which he said, well, you have your organizations like Washington Women Lawyers to which I, you know, then continued to escalate. And it eventually got to the point where it was done. And honestly, I, I know most of the people that are in DART. I think they're fantastic lawyers. I respect them highly. They've, they've since brought on, I think, two women. Um, not me, which is good, since I vowed I would never join that group. Uh, and I never will join that group. So 